Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. What do we think his major is going to be? Communications. Well, I'd assume that <laughs> that'd be really funny if you went to New Rome University <laughs> to study communications. Interns with Iris, which she's she's in this book. She is in this book. That's true. I'm just saying. <laughs> I expect a joke from Iris, like trying to pressure him into majoring in communication. <laughs> oh my Welcome back to Monster Donut, a literary and historical deep dive into the Percy Jackson series and all of its following spin-offs. I'm Emily, a classic scholar-ish. And I'm Phoebe, a dramaturg and story consultant. And this is a very exciting week. As of recording this, Chalice of the Gods comes out in two days. Yeah. So why, you might ask, are we doing this a few days before the book comes out? This is going to be sort of a mashup of what Phoebe did for the Son of the Star- Sun and the Star and what we usually do with these books. Because since it's a new book, we also want to record our predictions and uh, our reactions and all of that fun stuff too. Yeah, so the structure of this episode is going to be like the first 10 minutes or so we're about to spend listing off our predictions. And then we will... Magnus Archives, <laughs> Magnus Archives tape recorder cut our way into our actual reaction. It's because at least I'm going to read with my microphone next to me like I did for The Sun and the Star. I will also, which will be very funny because I'll be listening to the audiobook. <laughs> so you can actually play the parts that you're <laughs> <laughs> yeah, reacting to. Yeah, that's right, to. I can. 
<laughs> oh man. And I'm I'm going to edit our reactions together so that they happen chronologically because we're not going to be reacting in the same room, obviously. No. And that'll be like the second act of the episode. And then the third act will be when we come together and actually discuss the book. <laughs> Are we ready to get into predictions? Yeah, I want to list what we already know. We already have a general sense of what the book is about. We know it's about Percy needing to get recommendation letters, which he'll have to complete quests to receive. And this book is focused on uh, the quest that he receives from Ganymede, who is Zeus's cupbearer, and mm -hmm. who has lost the chalice that the gods drink from. And it turns out that if you drink from the chalice and you're mortal, it will turn you immortal. Um, mm -hmm. So he needs to find it. Or figure out who took it before Zeus finds out. We also have a couple of different versions of the cover, which we, I mean, that might be the first thing we get into. <laughs> but I have a lot of thoughts on the covers. Most of the iterations of the cover, like all of, basically all of the versions that aren't the American version, the picture that's on them or the image that's on them is of Percy like hovering over a mass of snakes with horns and holding a staff that we've concluded looks like the symbol used for Hermes' staff, but not yes. actually Hermes' Hermes's staff. It looks more like, like an ambassador's or herald's staff. It is a herald's staff. I mean, that's also what the, I think if you look up the planetary symbol for Mercury, that's the symbol, like it's based on the shape of that staff. Mm. So in my opinion, it's not actually Hermes' staff. Yeah. It looks like a, a magical version of a herald's staff. And then the, the other version of the cover is much more complicated and I don't have it in front of me, but I know you have probably more thoughts on it than I do. So. I have many thoughts. I do have it in front of me. So the US cover officially on the Barnes & Noble website is a image of a Greek drinking vessel that's like a two-handed cup that's called a kylix or kulix if you're ancient Greek. And you can see a bunch of these um, in museums. They're kind of like basically a big flat bowl shape and they've got handles on them sometimes and a stem. And on the cup, there are um, some fun little images because these would typically be decorated in the style of Greek pottery, like as, as a, of all Greek pottery. So we've got like different like myths and stories on them. So we've got Percy, Grover, and Annabeth along with a couple other objects. And then coming out of the cup, is another one of these horned snakes and some, they look like roosters, but they might also be like cockatrixes. The art for the snake that's horned and then the rooster slash cockatrixes, those all group together make me think basilisk. So I feel like basilisks might be in it. And then also there are these really cool looking like dead trees. And then the other objects you can see on this cover is an archway that looks quite ornate and is heavily decorated. Um, when I first saw this cover, I immediately zoomed in on that archway because I was looking at it and I was like, this looks like it could be one of two things. So I have a normal theory and an off the rails theory. My normal theory is that this looks a lot like a lot of the Roman victory arches that you see. So if you go to like Rome or there's even one in Athens where they're kind of ornately decorated and they've got this like circle design on the top. So it looks like it, it could be like some kind of Roman victory arch, which we'd usually like ride in a, in a triumph. However, it looks a little too ornate to be Roman, if that makes sense. I immediately looked at it and it reminded me of what's called the Pergamon Gates, which are at a museum in Berlin. And those are non-Western, but like Middle Eastern, like a Bab I think they're originally um, in Babylon. And they're freaking beautiful if you look up an image of them. But that led me down 
an absolutely off the rails theory rabbit hole, but I feel like it's going to happen. I I feel very strongly that I'm right (laughs) because what that immediately made me think of was um, that we haven't done Gilgamesh, which is not a Greek or Roman story, but it is still very much in the Western canon and like the oldest epic we have, at least um, in the Western canon. So I'm sitting here like, wait, what if Gilgamesh? Because Gilgamesh, the story, the whole epic is also about achieving immortality. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm just saying, maybe they go to Pergamon and that's why Annabeth has shorts on. (laughs) It's what it all comes back to. It's the shorts. Yeah. Short gate. I'm just saying, how cool would that be? It would be cool. I'm, I'm a little bit doubtful that that's the way we're going. I assumed that they went to, like, Washington Square Park when I saw that. Well, that's that's a victory arch that's based on the Roman ones. I know. But I'm saying that, like, I was like, oh, they just stay in New York the whole time, probably. And they just go to Washington Square Park. But when I think about it, I'm like, well, they probably do leave New York. I don't know why I'm assuming that they stay in New York in a Percy Jackson book. They obviously travel cross country. <laughs> They're going to Babylon, I swear to God. Okay. I'm adding Gilgamesh to our bingo card, just in all caps with multiple question marks. That's it. That's my big prediction. It's just that, like, epic of Gilgamesh retelling. I have a little bit of a theory about the snakes, which is that they are the Kerastes? Kerastes? Something in Greek. Which there's, like, very little of. There's very little information about them that seems credible online. (laughs) They're basically horned serpents. Their, their bites cause necrosis and a whole bunch of other stuff. Madness, dimness of sight, um, inevitable death within nine days. It's recommended that you just cut off whatever limb Dang. they bit. But my like number one like prediction or like just want for this book is for one of the main trio to consider drinking out of the chalice when they find it. Oh, of course. Well, I think somebody will. I think someone at some point in the book will drink from the chalice. Yeah, I feel like they're gonna find it in somebody's hands. Like, about to be. Who will have yeah. drunk it. Oh, who just did. That feels like a okay. Rick Riordan type encounter. Okay, well then who stole it? Who do we think stole it? Luke, mm. back from the dead. Back to steal things once again. What if Luke did steal it, but like, with the rest of the items? Like, what if that's a retcon? Oh, like, back when he was stealing. But that would be crazy. That would that would be a twist. <laughs> But what would Kronos need it for? And I also think that maybe Zeus would have noticed by now. <laughs> Prophecy Radio had an interesting theory that the thief might be um, Hebe. Mm. Well, she in mythology is like the older... She, so she's the goddess of youth. Hebe literally means youth. And so she was apparently the original cupbearer for the gods. Right. And she's referenced in the chapter titles. So we know she is a character in this. And they were like, mm-hmm. oh, maybe she resents... Yeah, and he made for replacing her and steals the cup. And so it's not like becoming a mortal isn't the uh, motive here. It's actually just to replace Ganymede, which I thought was an interesting theory. I much prefer I want to become a mortal, so I'm stealing this cup. <laughs> yeah. But what What if it's Ethan Nakamura? I did. I honestly did just have that thought when we were talking about Luke. I was like, what if it was Ethan? <laughs> what What if it's, um? oh my God, what's his name? Son of Magic. Oh my god, that would be so good. (laughs) Alabaster comes back. What if it's Alabaster? (laughs) Wait, that makes so much sense, though. 
I'm writing this down. I'm writing down surprise Alabaster Torrington. Well, when it comes to drinking out of the cup, I think we've talked about this, but I don't know if we've talked about this on the podcast of like who we think is most likely to consider it. I was thinking it would be Anna. I, I can't. I feel like it wouldn't be Percy because I think he's been there enough times where it's like a good point of reflection, but he's not going to seriously consider it. I feel like it would be Annabeth or Grover. But, but like, the thing with Percy is like I could see him. I don't know about drinking it himself immediately. Like the first thought instead might be like I would take this and make sure that Annabeth or my mom or Paul drinks from it so that they stay alive mm. and I can protect my family. Oh, Percy tries to about. steal the cup. I'm going to put that on the list. And you know why that would be so good is because that would be his like full circle Luke moment. Does Grover have a reason to consider drinking from this cup? I don't see Grover. I can see it in terms of like you can be the new pan type situation. Hmm, that's interesting. You're now the one, you've been, like, the torch has been passed, and now you can become, you can fill this need. Because that's what he's doing, you know, when he's in Trials of Apollo. That's the work he's been up to. Right, and we'll find out that it's been rough. And so being immortal to try and complete that work. They all have motive. They should all Mm -hmm. go for it, actually, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Reference to Luke. I would love to see just another reference to Luke. More Mm. insight into how everyone's thinking about Luke nowadays. I'm going to put down Luke was right. That's actually someone in our Spotify Q&A, Themona, said, I want a glimpse of what the situation is in Olympus post-Giant War and pre-Apollo punishment. And they say, I know it's not going to happen, but I need at least one joke about overthrowing Zeus again. I actually think it is going to happen. I think that Ganymede being present will come with a little bit of an anti-Zeus agenda that will continue Mm. in Trials of Apollo. Mm. I also feel like Ganymede might come with Percy-Ganymede parallels. Mm. Specifically, the idea of, like, the gods coming along and, like, stealing your youth away. Like, Mm. I think stolen youth is going to be a theme based specifically on the first chapter of the preview, but you haven't read that, so... (laughs) I have not. I mean, that makes complete sense to me. That's his whole shtick. Something else that I think could be really interesting if it comes up is the main story about Ganymede is he was, like, one of the youngest sons of uh, Priam, like, the king of Troy and the Iliad. So if he was, like, there for events of the Iliad, that would be pretty cool. Mm. I think re-figuring out what's going on post-Flood of Olympus, I've already said, I want to see Percy and Annabeth work through Tartarus trauma. I'd love to see, though, also a Percy and Grover heart-to-heart. Oh, Okay, yeah, we're gonna do it. Like, to see Percy and Grover talk about Tartarus. And this is another thing, is, like, I, I think I've questioned, maybe on the podcast, maybe not, whether Grover felt what, like, yeah, felt Percy's emotions link. in Tartarus. I want more use of the empathy link. I want, to, I want us to talk about the empathy link, and I, I feel like a conversation between Percy and Grover about Tartarus might be a place to do that. Mm. That's enough predicting for now. <laughs> the next time that you hear our voices, I don't know which one of us is going to kick us off, but... Yeah, probably. Well, I don't know. Place your bets now. But we'll be back with the books in our hands. Or at least I'll be back with the book in my hands, and Emily will have the book in her ears. <laughs> so we'll see you in a second. Okay. I just spent a very long day at rehearsal. I got the I got the book at 10 a.m., but haven't been able to read it until now. It's like 7 p.m., and I'm finally starting it. Um, 
but I bet you, knowing Emily, she hasn't started it yet, so I'm uh, probably ahead. I've already read the first three chapters of this book, uh, because they were a preview on some site. I can't remember what site. It was like not one of the normal ones. <laughs> so I already have a couple of thoughts on it. The first being on the opening line, which is, look, I didn't want to be a high school senior, which I just thought was cute the first time I read it. But this time, I feel like it's important to note that Percy, when we parallel this with his original first line, it's like he's aligning himself more with the mythological world this time. Like, instead of, I didn't want to be a half-blood, it's, I didn't want to be this very human thing. And he wishes in the next sentences that his experience in the mythological world would excuse him from that responsibility, um, which is sort of like a reversed version of, I didn't want to be a half-blood. And he still, like, later on the page says, basically, I didn't want to be a half-blood, just in different words. But that's still a part of himself that he is embracing just by going to Camp Jupiter and by leaning into the half-blood side of himself in a way that he isn't on the first page of The Lightning Thief. Just a small note there, but a, a bigger note that I have, I actually referenced earlier, which is uh, the stolen youth theme. The reason that I noted that as a possibility for this book is specifically because of something that comes up on page two, which is the, the description of alternative high school. It says, it's housed in a former elementary school in Queens. Uh, that means kitty-sized desks and no lockers, so you have to carry all your stuff from class to class. Down every hall, I could find cheery reminders of the school's former childhood. Smudges of finger paint on the walls, unicorn stickers peeling off the fire extinguishers, and the occasional ghostly whiff of fruit juice and graham crackers. Which feels like a very obvious, like, metaphor for what's happened to Percy and his relationship to his childhood. Because the, the chance to be a kid like that and to have that kind of carefree, you know, the cheeriness that's, that he points out here. Like, the chance to have that was stolen by the fact that he's a half-blood. And specifically the fact that he is the son of Poseidon. But also it's the, like, just the image of all of these kids who are too big for everything around them trying to fit back into this elementary school setting. Because, I mean, that's Percy showing up again in the Percy Jackson and the Olympians series. Years, like, ten years since he was last in the Percy Jackson and the Olympian series. I don't know. This, this, this paragraph just really stood out to me the first time that I read it and it still sticks out to me as something to keep an eye on. Also importantly, like two paragraphs later, we get more swim team lore. I've been waiting for the swim team lore since the Hidden Oracle came out. I've been so curious about I want to know what strokey swims. I want to know everything, but all we know is that the school that he's at now has a swim team and an Olympic-sized pool. No idea why. Which is so true. You find those 50-meter pools in the most random places sometimes. <laughs> what else did I mark here? I marked the, the fact that Percy is so worried about the fact that Annabeth might have to leave him to go to college on her own instead of going with him if he doesn't do well in school. Because I figured that was more than just a, like, you know, I want to go to college with my girlfriend, a sort of Troy Gabriella situation. Um, I think it's the codependency that we saw in Blood of Olympus and, you know, post Percy going missing and post Tartarus and the way that Percy really can't stand the idea of not being by Annabeth's side because of how dangerous and scary it feels to him. Um, I'm going to pause there because that's like all of my notes on the first three pages and I'm assuming that Emily will have more to say that I will put in here. 
I've acquired the goods. Very interesting so far. I'm enjoying, I mean, obviously there's the overt callbacks to Lightning Thief with the first line, but I think it's really interesting that he's in like a converted elementary school and he's got these like visceral sensory reminders all around him of, I would say like his pre being a known demigod state, like pre lightning thief date. So I feel like he's being forced into this interesting regression, both by the narrative and the style and those parallels and also like the place he's in. Also, guidance counselor's name is Eudora. Don't know if this is mythological reference or not, but Eudora means good gift in Greek. Like Pandora, you know, she's gift to all Pan as all Pandora, Eudora. Okay, I just looked up Eudora. She is who she says she is, an Ariad. Um, also, interestingly, daughter of Atlas. Hmm. Okay, I'm on chapter two. On this stuff about exactly why Percy needs these recommendation letters, this is not what I thought was going to be the reason for Percy getting these recommendation letters. I assumed it was required for everyone, like most people, I think. But the fact that this is specifically a requirement for Percy from Zeus... I think this is, again, Zeus being upset that he was humiliated again in Blood of Olympus. Like, this time it was by Jason, but I think that Percy is still a part of it. Like, I don't think it's just, you know, Poseidon says here that it's part of the, like, oh, he wasn't supposed to be born thing. But I think it's really that, like, Percy had at least a little bit of Zeus's good favor after the Titan War, but after what happened at the end of Blood of Olympus, I think Percy's lost that. And because Zeus feels humiliated by the fact that this war happened in the first place and by the fact that their children had to save them again, and then that Percy stood there with his hand on his sword while Jason called Zeus unwise in front of all of the other gods. Like, I feel like this is personal. It's not just, you know, technically he shouldn't be here. Like, that's the excuse. With Ganymede showing up, I am expecting us to go hard on the, uh, anti-Zeus agenda. I'm loving the way Percy is characterizing uh, Poseidon here, just because you're really getting hit over the head with how much, like, he just feels completely looked over, even by Poseidon, who's just, like, teleported him out to his palace. There's, like, the renovations, there's all the stuff about how he basically has to apologize and is in debt for existing, then this whole time... It just feels like Poseidon sitting there like, I'm doing such a good job. And Percy's like, you're not even doing the bare minimum. So love to see that, that there's no warm fuzzies there. I'm trying to remember the last time they talked to each other. And I feel like it must have been like during the battle in Heroes Olympus, but I'm sure Phoebe knows. What is himbo juice? <laughs> it's a place? Oh. <laughs> okay, it's a place... It's a place, and all of the servers are himbos. I guess that's a requirement, is that you have to be a himbo and wear a cute little tank top. And apparently Percy, Annabeth, and Grover go often enough that the Grover's got their orders memorized. Their regulars there, what? <laughs> the drink names are incredible. We're renaming the podcast from Monster Donut to Himbo Juice immediately. This book has been really funny so far. I, I'm loving the jokes in this book. There's a lot of like deadpan humor moments that I'm really liking. I also think it's interesting the way that Percy describes his own uh, decision in this scene to give up immortality because Ganymede 
says that he trusts Percy because Percy has turned down immortality in the past, so he trusts Percy to go find the cup. And Percy's reaction to this is interesting because he's sort of like, sure, I did turn down immortality. He says, I'd chosen systemic change instead. I'd asked the gods to stop ignoring their demigod kids. Turns out that's another way the gods are like cats. They're not so great at learning new tricks. Which feels like a sort of like, yes, I did do that once. Cannot promise I wouldn't, I would do it again. Which is sort of emphasized by the fact that Percy says later on, you can trust them as much as you can trust me. And then thinks to himself that that was kind of open to interpretation. I am a little bit fascinated by that. <laughs> I mean, if we actually get Percy considering immortality again, I will be very happy. I think I've made that clear. I will be very happy about it. Wait, sorry. All the people that work at Himbo Juice are like ripped and in tanks, and it's called Himbo Juice. So they found a gay juice bar. They're in a gay juice bar. Do they know? I'm sorry. Also, Percy's smoothie is called the Salty Sale. Does Rick know what he did? Asking for a friend. Hey, um, uh, it's like two, ten, it's like ten, twenty at night. Uh, right now, on the 26th, uh, I'm on chapter, like, six, but Rick just announced a new book, Wrath of the Triple Goddess, like, two minutes ago. That is such a cool title. What does that mean? I knew we were getting another book. Okay, I just googled it. It looks like probably a Hecate thing. Alabaster? If he's not in this book, I mean. Okay, that means that I am not going to go into this book looking for resolution to anything. That's good for me to know, starting the book out. Okay. Okay, I'll keep going. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this scene in Hebe's lair, I guess, is very much making me think Phoebe is. Not that I doubted her, because as soon as she said this, I was like, yeah, of course. The theme of this book is stolen youth, because like we're also now getting all of this nostalgia coming up, and they keep feeling like there has to be a catch to it, and yet like it's just like packed with it of all of like these memories from their childhoods and the things they never got they don't like get to enjoy anymore or like probably didn't get to enjoy that much when they were kids because they're half floods and we can check that one off the bingo card i can't believe when i was theorizing about stolen youth being a theme in this book and like talking two seconds later about hebe being in this book i didn't just like put two and two together like like, of course we're talking about youth. Hebe is here. <laughs> and specifically stolen youth. I'm crossing it out on my bingo sheet right now. Because I'd, I was reading this scene going like, okay, we're talking about youth, but not necessarily stolen youth. And I also was starting to doubt whether that was going to be a theme because I was expecting Ganymede to be younger than 20, like Percy describes him. So I thought maybe the Percy Ganymede stolen youth theme wouldn't be as obvious as I predicted it would be. But then Hebe, in this scene, while offering to make them all younger, she says, Is that why you're here then? You want to know the secret to youth? I imagine none of you really had a childhood, did you? Always running errands for the gods, fleeing monsters. And then unfortunately she says adulting. <laughs> but this is what I meant, because Percy and Annabeth were so young, especially Annabeth. And they also had, like, like Annabeth feeling abandoned by her father, and then uh, Percy having to handle living with Gabe at a young age. Like I said in our first episode, like at age 12, Percy was already like tired and self-deprecating and angry and like just wasn't 
as carefree as some of the other kids. Neither of them got to be as carefree as some of the other kids. Their childhoods were stolen from them. But that, like, the, the stuff we know about Percy when he was younger, like, the fact that he was so tired when we met him, it's part of why I was so shocked by the nostalgia that we see Percy feeling in this scene, because it's like, even though obviously Percy has had normal childhood experiences, it felt so foreign to see Percy even, like, think about life as a younger kid. Like, it always kind of just seemed like he spawned at 12 years old. <laughs> Because the only stories we ever had about him when he was younger were like those couple lines about getting kicked out of schools. But in this scene, we get to hear him talk about like visiting his mom at the candy store when he was younger and how he thought it was so cool that she worked there. And then like he tells this story about the, the pizza days on Wednesdays in third grade. And then we get to actually see him as an eight-year-old. But still, even, like, even as an eight-year-old, when Percy describes what it feels like to be an eight-year-old, it's like you realize just how much of his youth he wasn't able to experience as, like, a carefree kid. Because the way he describes being an eight-year-old and the way that it feels to him, he says, I hadn't felt this panicky in a long time. It was like I'd eaten a combination of sugar and glass, and I would either get cut to pieces or shake apart from the inside. Which, first of all, great physical description. But also, like, we know from Heroes of Olympus that Percy has been feeling panicky lately. And now, reading this and knowing that that's a feeling that was even more intense when he was younger, and it's, it's just a feeling that is inherent to being eight years old to him, it changes the way that I understand Percy a little bit. It's it's kind of enlightening and it's also kind of sad. <laughs> it reminds me, it, the scene reminds me of the guinea pig scene. Just because of the last line, he says, uh, when they escape and all kind of silently go their separate ways because no one knows what to say after that, which I loved. I love that as a detail, like getting to see them sort of react to what just happened. But Percy's saying as he walks all the way back to 104th Street, every so often I'd look at my hands, remembering how small they'd been and how helpless I'd felt not being able to use my sword. Inside, I still felt eight years old and ready to cry, which uh, just felt very similar to me to the guinea pig scene where he says, you know, after returning to his normal self, he says he still feels like a jittery, scared animal ready to run, but he's not sure whether that was a part of him that being a guinea pig brought out or if it's always been there. And here in this scene, I think we get to see that the panicky, scared little kid feeling that we saw in both of these scenes, it, it's been with him since he was little. So I have a prediction on a twist of this book, but I also don't know if this is going to be a twist. But Ganymede mentioned that the chalice of the gods just makes the gods' drinks taste better, but like makes mortals turn immortal. But going off like our conversations about immortality in the series and how it all works, part of me is also like, I wonder if a big twist in this book is that the chalice is actually what keeps the gods immortal. I feel like that would be a very cool twist. We'll see if that happens. I think it's a cool idea that's backed up by mythology. Um, another big thing to note here Percy explicitly says in these chapters that he is currently typing out this book. The line is, I got to the chorus and yelled, this one's for you, Hebe. Then in parentheses, I'd also like to point out that when I typed chorus just now, it initially autocorrected to curse, which seems right. So direct confirmation that Percy is telling this story, like actually writing the story down. I'm once again wondering why. 
Especially because this now goes against one of the previously semi-canon theories that Percy was like dictating this story to the camp scribe Rick Riordan. This lines up more with what Percy says in um, Percy Jackson's Greek Gods, which we haven't talked at all about. But at the beginning, he says that he was told to write down all the stuff he knows about the Greek Gods by a publisher in New York. So either that's still, but he doesn't feel like he's reluctantly telling us this story this time. Two small other notes for this scene. Can't believe we haven't seen Grover interacting with Percy and Annabeth as a couple until now, and I never even considered that until Annabeth was telling Percy to sing with her and how it could be romantic and Grover just walks away from them. I was like, how have I never even noticed that we haven't seen this dynamic yet? And also I love that Percy and Annabeth can't sing at all. That's hilarious. I have just finished chapter 12. It's interesting. I, I realized that it's structurally very different because they're actually getting downtime in this book, which is something they just, like, don't get, I'm realizing, at all once the books kind of start, like, because they're on the road or just, like, you know, one thing after another is happening. And here it's, like, there's so much, like, homework and mundanity in, like, a good way. Yeah, I know. It's it's interesting. It's very cozy. It's almost like a, it's like a cozy mystery, which is also interesting because I'm usually very voracious mystery reader and I'm not, my brain is, like, in Percy Jackson mode. It's not in mystery book mode. So I feel like I've already missed the clue for, like, where the, where the chalice is, but I'll keep you posted with my predictions. This scene between Percy and Sally on the fire escape is so good. I love, I love Percy's description of how he feels throughout this scene. Like he's, he's just being a lot more emotionally vulnerable with us than I feel like he has been kind of ever (laughs) in this like very brief, seemingly inconsequential scene. Because at the beginning he says that his anxiety he describes it as humming in his veins, worse than the baseline jumpiness that he always feels. And then he says that he feels like he only has a few more steps to go to get where he needs to be, but that the ground is starting to crack beneath his feet. He says, I didn't trust that the world could hold my weight much longer. And then throughout this scene, like he's just trying to talk to his mom, but he feels a lump forming in his throat when he tries to tell her about meeting Hebe. And then it only gets worse as Sally starts to tell him about what he was like when he was little. I wonder if this is one of those moments that I was kind of looking out for that were like moments that came out of sitting and analyzing and talking about your own work for the last year or two in a television writer's room. Because this isn't something that we've really gotten to see from Percy, especially like in Percy's first person perspective. And then, like we've said, rarely we get Percy being the one doing the sharing in the scene. It's almost always the other character unloading onto him. And so this scene feels really special because it's just, it's new, it's vulnerable, and I like getting to see this side of Percy because I feel like Percy in the original series might not totally let us in on everything that's happening around him, either because he's protecting us or just like protecting himself from being perceived. That it feels like there's a filter between us and what Percy's actually experiencing sometimes in the original series. Like he's holding back in certain scenes. And I feel like in this book, it feels like Percy's being very honest with us. 
and that he's not like hiding anything anymore. Whereas in past books, it does, it feels like he's telling you a story. And in the act of telling you the story, he's skipping over some things or just giving you maybe like a sentence or two about something, but it's not really the full picture of it. And I don't get that feeling from this book so far. <laughs> we'll see. Ah, so we have met Blanche with her ghost stories. I love her dearly. She is also my top suspect. I'm immediately suspicious. I feel like the twist might actually be that Iris did steal it, but she had her daughter steal it. Just like in The Lightning Thief. Don't know when she would have, like, gotten up there, though, but, like, no god could have stolen it. So I don't know why they're even checking out the gods. This doesn't make sense. Well, actually, no. It's not a symbol of power. I don't know. I'm- it's a mystery. I'm deeply suspicious of any and all suspects we are told to suspect. Also, why have we- why have we met this girl yet? She seems great. We love scaring the shit out of people. It's weird to me that, like, Grover's so into her. Like, why is he obsessed with, like, death and decay? Doesn't he love nature? I guess he, like, likes that she takes nature photography, but, like, Percy mentions that, like, what made him obsessed with her wasn't the photos, it was the scaring the shit out of everybody. I wouldn't think he'd be drawn to it. Hmm. The scene with Iris is interesting, though, about how no one wants Ganymede's job. And there's also this interesting piece of information that apparently Zeus's next feast date is known, so there is a deadline, and it's in, I think, like, 15 days. So I'm leaning towards Blanche for my predictions here, but there could be a dark horse in the running in the predictions, which is that Ganymede is not as himbo-y as we thought and might actually be trying to pawn the chalice off onto somebody else in order to no longer be the cupbearers used to like move up in the ranks, sort of like Iris and Hebe did. Because, I mean, so far we're just kind of... What we learned from Iris is that it's it's kind of a terrible job and it's fairly thankless. And uh, I don't know. I, I feel like maybe he's looking to move up in the world. He doesn't want to be stuck anymore. We're in Yonkers. Um, I was actually just in Yonkers at this specific train station that Percy presumably goes to right by the river. Good description of it here. Also love how Percy's like, now now I have to take an extra 30 minute train. <laughs> People from New York act like taking Metro North is like an entire journey. Like it's it's a whole extra 30 minutes to get home now. Like that's so real of him. Okay. Anyway, continuing. <laughs> So it's interesting that Percy, like, gets all the way to the monster later. Like, I thought for sure he was going to take this on by himself. And then just was like, nope, and just turns around to get help. Are we seeing growth? That's interesting. I think it, it underscores a lot of the, like, the emphasis on how they're growing up and the maturity. We're hearing so much more about them, like, doing, like, homework and, like, just, like, having, worrying about, like, normal stuff, too. It's a really interesting contrast to the original series. I have some thoughts on it analytically that I've already said, but I feel like I need to know how it ends to really get how this slots in more to like Percy's journey. But it feels like he's, right now at least to me, he's like aging out of the series. And he's talking about being out of the danger years too. And it's like just aging out of those, that heroism, which is also like interesting as a concept that like you can age out of being a hero in this world. Also love Anna with pushing Percy off a clip. It's great. I am just like fascinated by this conversation that Percy has with Elisan because it feels like it feels like every interaction 
with the gods um, that the demigods have, but reversed. As in, like, Percy is in the role of all of the gods being confronted by the demigods because Percy, without thinking, damages the water or the water quality. And Elisan comes back at him with all of the same sarcasm that Percy comes at everyone with. And with these lines, like, I ask for so little from you. And then later on in the same conversation, when Percy tries to argue back, says, let me guess, the rules don't apply to you. And then Percy just keeps trying to respond with like, uh, you know, I, I, I get it. I, um, maybe I'll try to clean the water. And Elison responds with like, I suppose you can snap your fingers and undo all the damage to my river. Leave it cleaner than you found it, which you would only do after you've gotten what you wanted. And I'd have to take your word for it. And then he asks, like, how did that work out with the Hudson and East Rivers? Are they all nice and clean now? Which, no, they're not. And then in the end, Elisant says, like, I see. You find me small, inconsequential. And Percy ends up just, like, grasping at straws and then eventually is like, oh, what if I offered you, like, a visit to Poseidon's palace? And it's just like, can I offer you this inconsequential gift despite like ruining your life here and it just feels it's it's exactly the way that the gods treat the mortals and the other reason that i turned on this mic is because the river god tries to drown percy which we know is a sore subject for him because he spent at least half of heroes of olympus with a phobia of drowning specifically suffocating and he only seemed to really recover from that in or after Tartarus, probably. But still, I, I feel like this is proving that like maybe that recovery wasn't a full recovery because Percy's reaction here is extreme. He says that when this god tries to drown him, he says, I was a scared kid again, screaming for the big bad world to leave me alone. My rage exploded and so did the river. It blasted away from me in every direction, putting me at ground zero of the detonation, curled up alone in a bubble of air, howling so loudly I could hear myself even over the roar of the torrent. Howling. Um, Percy's done a lot more crying in this book. <laughs> He's admitted to crying a lot more in this book, at least, or feeling like this. And none of it has been explicitly linked to... Tartarus or to like losing his memory and everything in the son of Neptune and how hard that was for him but when has something not being explicit ever stopped me because this this reads to me like a trauma response like all of that fear and anxiety around even being near water because he was afraid of suffocating in Mark of Athena and then turning around and suffocating I never made this connection <laughs> suffocating misery like, he spent a full book, like, deathly afraid of suffocating. And then the moment he was able to grasp at some control in his life, he turned around and suffocates this goddess by filling her nose and throat with her own tears. And so inflicts the thing that he's so afraid of on her. And then we don't get Percy's point of view again, so we don't really get to know what he's thinking about suffocating in Blood of Olympus, but... Here we get Percy describing the dirt in his nose and throat, and then he just loses it. He says that he pulls water up, not just from the ground, but from the underworld, from the source of the river in the underworld, just trying to get away and like trying to save himself. And it leaves him, like he says, trembling, strung out and terrified by what he's just done. And it's just such an extreme reaction. Like, obviously, you're going to react to suffocating. <laughs> 
but it's so extreme and so immediate too that it feels like him reacting to that fear of drowning that is just like a part of him now. I wish I could read this scene from Annabeth's perspective because she so far hasn't really had a clear reaction in this scene. I'm assuming the reaction that we do see here is meant to be sort of like, ah, there he goes again, same as usual. But I'd, I have to imagine if she was able to see Percy like curled up howling in the riverbed alone, or even if she just like heard it, like that can't seem normal <laughs> to her. So maybe we'll get more of that. But anyway, continuing on. So Iris just said that she's narrowed the search down to Greenwich Village, which I will remind you is downtown Manhattan, and she's not happy, which means that I think Blanche is very much still in the picture here because that's not very far from uh, Soho. But she says that this guy's going by the name Gary. So my guess is, um, you might know the word geriatric, which is spelled G-E-R, etc which is from a Greek word, geras, which means old age. And I just looked it up. And there is, in fact, a Greek god named geras. That's the god of old age. So I'm pretty sure that's who they're going to see. What's also interesting is that um, apparently he is depicted fighting Hercules. Interesting Hercules connection. Uh, Hebe also has a Hercules connection because she's apparently married to him um, unhappily. Also interesting is that apparently geras is very closely equated with kleos, which is fame. Um, which means that, you know, like having old age and was, it was like basically equivalent to like having wisdom, having like had all these deeds and accomplishments in ancient Greece. So I'm interested in how Rick is interpreting um, this idea in this story in particular, and if that has any relation to glory that we've seen as a theme in the series. So we shall see. But that's my guess as to who they're meeting, God of old age. Why is he in Greenwich Village though? Current theory Gary is. An ancient hero. Gary is a hero. Gary went to Camp Half Blood in the '60s, and he wants he wants immortality now. Uh, the gods are anti-Gary. <laughs> this is this is all I have. <laughs> this is what I've got right now. Also, Iris is giving them, like, unblended nectar, which I enjoy because um, in ancient Greece, you, you'll see in Homer, like, they'll mention putting the wine into mixing bowls, and it's because they would always mix their wine with water. And there's, like, a whole thing, and it's, like, a running thing. It's, like, only barbarians drink unmixed wine. So I find this to be a very fun um, little cheeky nod to that, I think, where it's, like, un you know, you mix your nectar, too. You don't, you, like, like, your wine, so... Um, I'm happy here in the world of my very niche and irrelevant classics knowledge. I'm doing extremely important math right now. Grover came to watch Percy swim at his swim meet. And he says that, you know, Grover cheers him along as he swims his first race. And then Percy goes up and sits with Grover in the bleachers to watch the next race. The next race is an un undefined 100 meter race. Could be any stroke. It's 100 meters. Immediately after, though... It's a 500 freestyle. He says it's a 500 freestyle. And it's been like 10 years since I swam. But I'm almost certain that the order of events is 100 butterfly, then 100 freestyle, and then 500 freestyle. If I'm remembering correctly, Percy's a butterflyer and I was right. <laughs> oh, he's just like me. Right? See, I, because I was swimming the 100 butterfly, I wasn't thinking about what came after, so I can't even, I can't even remember what stroke comes after butterfly. <laughs> diving happens. The diving team goes, which I, Percy hasn't mentioned a diving team. 
but diving happens, then butterfly, then 100 freestyle, then 500 freestyle. So if he does have a diving team, it's like basically confirmed that the race that he just swam before getting out of the water was the 100 butterfly. If he wasn't swimming the 100 butterfly before this, he was swimming the 50 or an IM. I could see him swimming an IM. But it would make sense to put like your strongest swimmer in the butterfly because no one wants to swim butterfly. I'm taking this as confirmation until Percy says otherwise. He also says it's his first race though. Maybe he's swimming a relay later or something because that's what I used to do. I used to swim the butterfly and then a relay later. And I'm just going to keep projecting out to him and saying that he does exactly what I did in high school. Other than that, <laughs> the scene is funny. I like seeing Percy and Grover drive. Oh, you know what? This might count as a Percy Grover heart to heart. It is Percy giving Grover relationship advice. Also hilarious that we're definitely going to Washington Square Park now. <laughs> sorry, Emily. I'm sorry about that. Oh my god, it was actually just Washington Square Park. That's what she said. She was like, or it could just be Washington Square Park. And I said, no. Why is Phoebe always right? It's so annoying. Totally the writing. It's hard to tell if this is... A proper supposed to be like a proper mystery or an adventure because it's feeling like it's just an adventure we're not getting clues we're not really getting red herrings it's not really throwing us off and i mean i think in lightning thief like there is a really good mystery element but it's like not the main plot like in that one sort of there was a suspect and they were pursuing it it just like took a while to pursue and we got the clues laid out as to like the real what was really going on earlier so it wasn't framed as a mystery if that makes sense and it's more of like a surprise twist this was a mystery the whole time type situation but i think the big twist is like they're gonna find the child's with geras but the twist is like how did he get it and i think it's blanche because that just makes sense why else are we introducing her as a character she's just like causing some relationship drama between grover and juniper hang on percy's coach just yelled at him to go get ready for the high dive so this is not <laughs> so they do have a diving team it turns out i don't care he's still a butterfly oh he just gave him a hug i was just thinking because percy has this line earlier the satyr seemed so worried i assumed about juniper that i wanted to give him a hug wrap him in a warm fluffy blanket and drive him to camp half flip myself since i didn't have time to make the drive and i also didn't have a warm fluffy blanket i racked my brain for helpful advice and i was like there was a third option you listed there <laughs> and we got it that's nice we we rarely see physical affection coming from these two actually so i'm glad yeah going off of how much all the other gods seem terrified of this scary dude i'm gonna go with 100 he is the god of old age like what else is so terrifying to these gods then shriveling up and dying i also think there'll be a funny moment because i feel like the scene this book in general is very anticlimactic he doesn't seem that invested in new rome and his own future like we have um percy's like future plans on our bingo board right and i have not ticked it off because it's post-college plans he hasn't mentioned them yet he says he has plans with annabeth and post-college but i don't they don't they're not like he's not like excited about them like he's not sitting here like i'm gonna go to university i'm gonna major in this i'm gonna do this this is gonna be my career he's it's all about annabeth he's excited to go to new rome to be with annabeth he doesn't want to miss out on the time with annabeth which is what the stakes are and why he needs the rec letters but he's also like now that he's learned he's gonna get a new sibling like really wants to be home and like be a family and he says it's like equally good options like he's like it's sort of taking the stress away which is great for percy but bad for stakes 
Um, so it makes this a much lower stakes book than normal, even besides the fact that, you know, they're not saving the world today. Um, the personal stakes are lower. So I feel like an interesting thing scene that might happen is Gary being terrifying to the gods, but not terrifying to Percy and Beth and Grover, or at least Percy, because I don't think he's afraid of getting older. He wants to get older. Um, and that's sort of what we've been building up to, so. Just got this scene where Percy found out that Sally's pregnant, and I should have put that on the bingo cards because that was also a prediction that I had. I, I figured that we were probably going to find that out in this book. If you're reading these books in order, that would have been a surprise to you. I, I liked having that scene immediately after Percy and Grover's like heart-to-heart moment um, at the swim meet, because these are the kinds of scenes that I was talking about um, when I was talking about Son of Neptune. These like, maybe nothing's really happening that's moving the story forward, but you get to see the characters talking and you get to discover things about them and you just get to see them like living together. That is what I live for. Those opening hundred pages of Vengeful, the the peak of literature. <laughs> and I like that Percy feels a little bit conflicted about it because obviously he's really excited to have a little sibling, but it makes him realize that life is going to go on after he leaves and that like his his mom and Paul are going to start a new chapter in their lives and he won't be as much a part of it as he is now. And just like the realization that he is growing up. And I wonder if that feeling, I, I feel like it won't. I feel like this, this isn't going to happen. This is just what I like wish would happen. <laughs> um, I wonder if that feeling will make him consider drinking from the chalice because then it'll give him more time because he feels like he's running out of time with his family or he feels like you know he wants to be in two places at once and that once he leaves he'll be at the point where he's missing parts of his mom and Paul's life. I wonder if that will factor into any of his thoughts later on if like you can take immortality but not necessarily become a god with it just use it to give yourself more time with the people you care about get to experience everything that you want to. It could be tempting. I'd drink from it, that's for sure. <laughs> At the end of chapter 26. I'm not even gonna say I told you so because I, I knew I was gonna be right. But uh, yeah, it is in fact Geras, uh, God of Old Age. And um, he and Percy are having a really interesting conversation right now. But I wanted to flag one thing, which is that he says the curse of immortality to Percy. Uh, we had a whole discussion about whether we refer to it as the blessing of Achilles or the curse of Achilles and how that shifted between Percy Jackson and the Olympians and Heroes of Olympus. But here we're seeing immortality, which is again another blessing from the gods, reframed as a curse. Honestly, I think this is a little... It's, it's a nice setup for Trials of Apollo, are my thoughts on it right now. I'm curious how this continues to get explored in this book. And also really interesting that like, both him and Ganymede's like common ground. This idea that like Percy being the one mortal who has given up immortality because all of this, this whole encounter makes me think about what Geras actually thinks of the gods in general, because obviously, like, beings are meant to wither and die, and they are undying. Actually, in Greek, when we refer to the gods, there's two different words they're typically referred to as. There's theoi, which are the gods, and athanatoi, which is the undying. Thanatos, death. Athanatoi, the undying, because it's athanatos. That, I would say, I, 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 in my Greek literature experience, you see even more than theoi. So it's interesting. I, I feel like he deeply resents the gods, not for being gods, 
but for not dying, for not growing old, even though he also doesn't, you know? He's also, like, mm. there's there's some interesting stuff with, like, Ganymede and, like, being kidnapped and given immortality, and he's, he's a little victim-blamey here, but I, it is also part and parcel, because I think Geras is still a god, so he's still going to act like be a dick the way the gods are dicks, so, mm. anyway. So Gary is not a hero from the 60s, unfortunately. How funny would that be? Imagine if I had been right. I wonder if Emily figured this out. I mean, they mentioned Hercules, so you'd think. No, I'm looking him up now and it says that whatever mythic story he's from has been lost. But still, she might have figured it out. I appreciate that it's only thinking about Jason's vision of his future and his vision of getting to grow older that was able to get Percy to start thinking past like dying young like jason's hope kind of breaks percy out of that because i guess they they kind of have different mindsets in that way that i don't know if jason even though jason was like hounded by death from birth i don't know if he thought too much about dying young or at least i don't remember him thinking too much about it because he's got a lot of he's got a lot of optimism going on well, Percy doesn't. And so I, I like that that part of Jason inspired Percy here to think past the idea that he might not make it longer than a couple years. This book is really going hard on the, uh, the growing up theme. It's interesting because I, I keep thinking about how like there were so many things that I wanted this book to do and it's not doing them. Instead, it's giving me something I hadn't even considered that it might give me. And I'm not complaining. It's just not at all what I expected this book to be, was to be like a meditation on the fact that Percy is now growing up and has to leave behind like this entire childhood that we got to see him experience. Like he's leaving behind the Percy Jackson books, it feels like. Because I assume, I assume once we get to the end of these books that this will probably be the last Percy Jackson book. Because I know Rick clearly doesn't want Percy to ever turn 18. But I mean, based on this scene, you have to embrace old age. Old age being 18. <laughs> There's an interesting observation Percy makes um, when he's going into Mount Olympus, the Empire State Lobby, part of Mount Olympus. Like, makes this interesting comment where it's something like, it's as though Zeus is saying, like, we're prettier than Mount Orthrus, therefore we're the good guys. Which that recalls to me an interesting ancient Greek um, expression. Uh, a lot of people, I think, quote, but like, use it correctly. That's uh, kalos kagathos, which means beautiful and good. I want to say it's like an eat, pray, love or something where she's writing about how the Greeks loved beautiful and good things. And that's like what that phrase means. And I think that's a misconception a lot of people have um, because what it actually means in the ancient Greek world is it's equating beauty and goodness. And goodness here also means nobility. And that was like a huge thing in the ancient Greek world because there was this idea that like if you're beautiful if you're rich if you're in the upper classes it means the gods have blessed you which means you must be a good person because the gods blessed you and it meant that you could literally get away with murder if you were hot and rich so percy thinking that is what i'm saying it would be super accurate to zeus and there's also a lot of interesting stuff about like zeus kidnapping ganymede for like his aesthetic value because he's just like this hot young thing that he just like wants to serve his wine because i get it we're doing the pg version here so it's this idea of like beauty and goodness being a piece of immortality as well and like this assumption of goodness even when it's not like being able to get away with things because you're beautiful because you're eternally young because you're powerful i don't have more to say about that 
as of yet, but like it's I'm thinking about all this stuff, especially as we're about to meet Zeus, probably. Um, Percy's in the elevator right now, now that I'm talking. I love getting to see Percy do like a reversed version of Luke's original heist, like pre-Lightning Thief heist. Like him figuring out a way to break into Zeus's palace and trying to return a godly object instead of stealing it. And then I kept thinking about that one moment in The Lightning Thief where they're talking about like how the thief could have possibly gotten into Zeus's palace and left undetected with the lightning bolt. And Luke's like, well, they'd probably, they'd have to be able to turn invisible to do something like that. And then they both kind of pause and are like, oh, but not Annabeth. Of course not Annabeth. And then so to, to get to see Percy actually go in and having to use the invisibility cap and just playing out that whole I, I kind of I was waiting for the moment where Percy had to like sneak in and maybe through the room where Zeus keeps his lightning bolts just for fun but maybe that would have been too on the nose I guess. I was surprised by how short this scene was and the fact that we have we've already left Olympus at this point like our, our moment with the gods was very brief we didn't even see them really like we saw Zeus's feet and we saw Percy make half second long eye contact with Athena which I I loved that moment um, because lately we've we've talked a little bit about this about how lately Athena's been helping Annabeth out a little bit more since Heroes of Olympus I we're gonna talk a lot I think once I I get on the call with Emily about where we're at with the gods right now it's tricky because it's like the the more we look at the gods and the more that we exist in this world, the harder it gets to justify anything that they do. But this is also a prequel to Trials of Apollo. And so nothing can change. Everything has to be the way that it is in Trials of Apollo. And so it's not like we're going to like take down Zeus in this series, even though like the longer we look at Zeus, the worse he gets. What else? I'll leave it at that for now. I've only got like two more chapters, so I'm not sure if I'll record any more or if I will leave it at that and then wrap up all of my thoughts with Emily. We'll see. Okay, we're back. <laughs> hey everyone. And we're together. First of all, can't believe Phoebe thought I didn't start the book the day of. <laughs> I am enraged. It was out of character. I'm offended. <laughs> it was very out of character. <laughs> so... To start us off, how is your bingo card looking? Not good, man. It's not good. No? It's not looking good. Also, my predictions, not good. Not good <laughs> at all. <laughs> all the ones I put on the bingo card, except for Ganymede being gay, did not happen. <laughs> not one thing. There has to be something. Basilisks were mentioned. I crossed that off because they got a mention. <laughs> oh, I didn't cross them off. I didn't think that counted. I probably didn't count, but I, I crossed it off anyway to get more more bingo. <laughs> There's a couple I want to talk about. There's a couple I want to talk about. Because there were a couple where I was like, I don't know if I'd cross it out. Okay. One of them was Percy Ganymede parallels. I also... Because they didn't really have parallels in this book. They didn't have parallels the way that I thought they were going to have parallels, but I did cross that one out on mine. Because I felt like Percy at the end started to see himself in Ganymede but not for the reasons that I expected him to like I felt like he it was more like he saw the failure of the gods in Ganymede in the same way that he sees the failure of the gods in his own life it was less like the person and the story of Ganymede it was just like what 
Ganymede symbolized to him. Mm. And so I crossed that one out, but it's debatable I whether I, I should have. I, <laughs> I mean, maybe I was just being too strict. Maybe yeah, I'm trying. I'm playing to win. I'm gonna cross out anything that <laughs> looks vaguely like it could have happened in this book. The only thing I could have gotten bingo if there had been a single reference to the Kane Chronicles. Oh man, I would have won. Um. Oh, here's another one. Percy's post college plans because they talk. They he doesn't even talk. Like he talks about he wants to go to college, but he doesn't even talk about what he wants to study. He doesn't talk about what he wants to do after. So I didn't cross it out. I crossed that one out. Also. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm just cheating. <laughs> You're just cheating. I don't. We don't learn about Percy's post college plans. I actually have a lot of questions about Percy's post college plans. We don't learn about his post college plans, but we learn about his post college dreams. It's that vision of growing old that I was like, okay. But his plan. I'm sorry. We learn his post college plan is to grow old. But that wasn't his plan originally. <laughs> like, he, if you asked him before this, he would have said, like, I'm gonna live like ten years, and I'd love to live more than that. But that is something I wrote down to talk about a little bit more uh, when I was listening to your reactions, which is the Persebeth codependency. Because mm. I feel like I was left. With Percy in a place where he was like, I want to go to New Rome for Annabeth, to be with Annabeth. Yeah. Not really thinking through his own. Yeah. That's what I mean. Like, he doesn't even know what he wants to study. Like, he wants to study being Annabeth Chase's study buddy. Yep. The other, oh, have a Olympus post-giant war situation comes up. I, again, did not cross it out because they (laughs) didn't talk about it. That one I'm a little more on the fence on. I crossed that one out. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> that was the one I was most on the fence about, though, because I was sort of like... Oh, that's the one you were most on the fence about? Because it felt like we weren't really talking about what was going on on Olympus, other than, like, Zeus is having a party. Um, and, and in the oh. ways that it was, like, different post-Giant War, because, like, that's what we were looking for, was, like... Yeah, it's not like specific, but I guess we can see. I'll allow, fine. I will allow that one. That one I won't be salty about, but I am crossing out all the ones you crossed out because I refuse to let you win because you're more. Because I'm cheating. (laughs) (laughs) And then, okay, then I would get bingo if Percy had considered drinking from the chalice. Yeah, I honestly wasn't surprised that he didn't consider it, even though I had a million reasons why he should consider it. I did feel like all of that was covered well enough by the Kane Chronicles short story that I was like, okay, I'll accept this. Like, I'll accept that he worked through that question during and after that and is like, okay, I'm not going to consider this. Okay. Would have been more fun if he had, but I also had um, Grover considered drinking from the chalice. Again, wasn't yeah. surprised it didn't happen, but would love yeah, to see I it. had all three of them considering drinking from the chalice on my bingo board. You know what, though? Those were yours, Phoebe. Yeah, because you'd think. <laughs> you'd think someone. You'd think somebody, and yet. I just assumed that we would be dealing with... The chalice a lot more. The concept of... Yeah, the chalice a lot more, and also just the concept of mortals wanting to become immortal. Because yeah. my first thought wouldn't be, oh, another god stole it. Because I was like, mm. why would they do that? And so I thought this was going to be more about returning to Percy's decision not to uh, accept immortality. Yeah. Or at least seeing what the other two thought of it now. But it's fine. (laughs) Should we talk a little bit about the ones that we did get right? Yeah. I mean, so I think they were the Kerastes instead of Basilisks. Yes. I crossed out anti-Zeus agenda continues. For sure. I was thinking about it and I was like, I don't think 
we've been this like anti-Zeus yet, like pointedly hating Zeus um, at this point mm. in the series. I don't know. I have a lot of thoughts about the way that it ended with Ganymede still there and you just feel like, oh, I wish we had been able to do something more for him. Mm. It definitely felt like it was almost like our anti-Zeus agenda truly begins. <laughs> I was feeling kind of the anti-capitalist agenda. There's so much of like, like even in Poseidon's palace, like the commentary on like labor to gods. Mm-hmm. Percy like makes this offhanded remark in his head of like Poseidon having access to like infinite free labor in his palace to like work on stuff and do these like endless pointless renovations and all this. Yeah. And then later in the book, we see like the kitchens at Olympus, even mm-hmm. though the gods canonically only eat nectar and ambrosia. And I loved. Again, this is one of those times I was listening to Phoebe's reactions, and I was like, oh, why didn't I think of that? When you were talking about, like, how what Luke would have seen when he went to Olympus. Mm. And just, like, seeing all of the decadence, seeing because it's the way you show wealth, historically speaking, has changed a lot in terms of the physical things. But ultimately, what it always comes down to is you show wealth by showing off how much time is put into whatever status symbol you possess. There's this idea that even to the gods, like what wealth looks like is still like what labor they can command, Mm -hmm. even though they don't need it. But I wonder if that's also a piece of it, is like going to Olympus and just like seeing how the kitchens, the staging area, like, you know, Mm -hmm. not the non-polished stuff, the... The, the part where, like, there's other people there, like, being exploited, being essentially, like, held hostage by Zeus and the other Olympians. Yeah. I think that definitely must have done away with any doubts that he had going in there. And also, like, how they regard half-blood labor as well. Because we're even seeing some of that, where Percy is, like, making all these observations, like, oh, it's like they don't even think about what they're asking of us. Wait, yeah. am I making this up with Charles of Apollo? No, this is in this book. This is in this book. As as yeah. another parallel between Percy or just the demigods and Ganymede. Yeah, sure, sure, <laughs> sure, 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 sure. <laughs> I was also shocked by how right I was to point out stolen youth as a potential theme. I'd, I don't know. I didn't expect it to manifest in the way that it did, but it, it was like explicitly like growing older and reflecting on your youth is like the theme of the book. And I was like... How did I guess that from the description of the elementary school? (laughs) But I did like the way that youth was used in this book. Because even when I made that prediction, I also wasn't really thinking about it. Even though I I sort of talked about it, I still wasn't really thinking about the way that it's sort of like a Toy Story 3, Steven Universe future situation where we get like these characters who were written 10 years ago. And now they're older, Mm -hmm. like we allow them to grow up for a second and like think about Mm -hmm. getting older so that people who maybe were kids 10 years ago get to see that character dealing with the same fear of like moving forward. Yeah, I it was interesting because at first I thought Stolen Youth was going to be the central theme, but more and more and more it really that was the main theme to me. Yeah. Was like, it's okay to change jobs. It's okay to change, basically. It's okay to like move on. Because I got that not only from the Percy stuff, but also all this interesting little tidbits of, like, who had the chalice and what are they up to now? Mm-hmm. How do they feel about that job? Like, Iris's messenger staff, for example, is a, 
is is a big one where she clearly loved this old job of hers, but they clean up the staff, they give it back to her, and she's like, that's great. I'll put it on my wall. That was a fun time of my life, but I've moved on. Yeah. You could also, I think, think about this book by also thinking about, like, what is what is childish behavior? What is mm. not? Because there's a lot of references to feeling like a child, acting like a child, who's being childish, who's not. And, like, the Hebe scene really starts it off. But even before that, we're already, like, in an elementary school. And I didn't fully realize that that does all actually kind of come full circle until this offhanded mention Percy makes of Zeus, like, zapping his kite out of the sky when he's a kid. Because my reaction was, that's very childish. Yeah, that was a big thing about the way that Zeus was written in this book for me. Yeah. He, he felt very childish, the way that he's, like, forcing everyone to listen to his story at the end. And is yeah. saying, like, oh, but I want him to hear the end of it. I want him to, you know, it's just he's got all of those, like, arcade games lining the wall, which felt so, mm. like, not the vision of Zeus that's in my head. He's always standing there with his, like, pinstripe suit, and then we go into his actual house, and mm. it's, like... There's, like, a learned helplessness to how a lot of the gods handle mortals and handle, like, quests and handle the relationships where like as soon as they're outside their comfort zone or their their comfort zone or their like realm of influence very few of them aren't childish like uh, for example i'm thinking lightning thief aries even aphrodite at points they're just sort of like so used to getting their way and they just throw tantrums when they don't it's not just zeus yeah there's also a lot on the helplessness of being a kid in this book like there's i thought a really powerful moment was when right after they get turned into kids by Hebe, Percy starts to have a mental breakdown. And, and the crux of it is like, I can't do this again. I can't grow up again. I can't have to go through all of these things to learn who, to become the person I've already become. Like to, to like learn how to like actually deal with my, my like ADHD, deal with being a demigod, like relearn all of these things that I fought so hard to learn. That's the thing. And it was interesting to me because I feel like I see this going floating around every once in a while where someone's like, would you rather like get like $10 million or restart your life at like X age knowing everything you know now? And I feel like a lot of people, for a lot of people, like being able to have that redo button would be a good opportunity. But for Percy, he doesn't want to feel helpless like that again. So I, I thought that was really interesting. Mm. It reminds me of... um in the lightning thief we have percy having that dream at the very beginning zeus well actually i think it's halfway through it's zeus and poseidon fighting like children oh yeah and percy yelling after them to stop and like the way that they've made their children have to like grow up so quickly while Mm -hmm. they're acting like kids it honestly made me i kind of surprised that this wasn't the theme of the final of these books you would think that a theme like this would be the theme of the last of them so it's interesting that we're starting off this trilogy with percy having worked through that mm. makes me curious what he's going to deal with in the next two books tartarus hopefully would love that i wonder if the next two will would also be like percy annabeth and grover or if like he's gonna move on to a different character lineup you're pulling that, you're, you're pushing your Hazel agenda? I'm pushing my Son of Neptune trio reunion idea. <laughs> Although, if it was Percy, Annabeth, and Grover, and also Frank and Hazel, 
dream character lineup. That right would there. be really fun. That'd be cute. That was something that I craved from this book a little bit more was just more Annabeth and Grover arcs. Yeah. Because I feel like in the original series, even though we're in Percy's perspective and he has the main, like, or he doesn't even have the main yeah. arc half the time, but <laughs> we get arcs in each book from yeah. the characters that he's with. And it felt like Annabeth and Grover didn't this time around. And so I'm hoping from the next two books that we get, like, more insight into what's going on with the two of them. Mm-hmm. You know, I got, I feel like we got moments with them, but not full, like, I'm not following them through this book. I'm following Percy. Yeah. Watch, like, all of our predictions for Charles the, Do- the Gods, like, well, besides the child space ones, like, come true, but, like, in the <laughs> next two books. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm gonna say we predicted the next book. I think we can keep the same bingo cards and wait yeah. next time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they don't go to Camp Half-Blood. Yeah. I was kind of surprised by the fact that this wasn't structured like a Percy Jackson book, even though, like, for mm. some reason, I I didn't assume that it would be at the beginning. Like I said when we were talking yeah. about Washington Square Park, I said that I don't yeah. know why I'm assuming that they're going to stay in New York right now. Like for, for some reason, I felt like it wasn't going to be structured like a Percy Jackson book, but it like really wasn't. No Camp Half-Blood. It really wasn't. No cross-country journey. <laughs> but I also, I was expecting it. I had a moment, like a third of the way through, where I was like, oh, wait, this is probably structured like a mystery because it's not a Percy Jackson book. But then it wasn't. No. <laughs> it wasn't a mystery. Honestly, it was structured. I'm I'm going to come back to Gilgamesh. It was structured like a very old school quest myth, you know? Like, God shows up and is like, hey, do this for me. And you're like, okay. And then you have to go and then you do some side quests and then you come back. And then a different god's like, okay, can you do this thing up now? And you're like, okay. And you go and then you do some other side quests and you come back. But then it sort of turned into a heist at the end, so... I was going to say it's structured sort of like, but not not totally, but sort of like an episode of television. Mm. Yeah, it is. Because it's like... It is. I'm I'm specifically thinking of like a procedural kind of like, you know, yeah. you, you go somewhere, you investigate, you ask them questions, and then you go do something else, and then you go investigate someone else, and you get some more information. I'm thinking like X-Files... I was hoping it'd be a little more of a mystery, because he can clearly write them. Yeah, I liked your predictions. Specifically, the idea that Ganymede was uh, actually trying to, like, voice his role as cupbearer onto someone else, and that that was going to be the twist at the end. Mm -hmm. I did realize, I didn't realize it until I was going through our predictions audio, but it very easily could have been our first Luke theory, that he stole it five or six years ago however long it's been in these books because Ganymede when he sees Percy originally and Percy asks like how long has it been missing he says like oh like 10 years or something and then is like oh actually maybe it was like two weeks and you realize he doesn't really have a handle on time at all and then at the end when we get that like this feels like Kronos magic like if I had oh. been thinking I would have been like I've figured it out <laughs> But well, you didn't react to the Kronos magic, which I was surprised by. I thought for sure you'd be like, ah! <laughs> well, I mean, my immediate reaction was like, well, it's not Kronos magic, so what is it? <laughs> at which, at what point did you figure out old age? Did you not know old age yet when you when you saw the Kronos magic? I only knew old age when he said, hey, I'm old age. Wait, but so you thought it was a hero from the 60s and there was like chrono mag- Kronos magic and you didn't like freak out? 
Oh, I did have the thought. I wonder if this is like I started thinking like, do have we ever met a child of the Titans who's like a demigod child of the Titans? How would Kronos have a child? Luke was like twenty three. <laughs> oh, but no, that's not what I was thinking. What I was thinking was like Phoebe. Maybe if no, <laughs> no, we cannot enter. No, no. What I was actually thinking no. was that like if. The... I can I'm no I'm not over that that I oh my god <laughs> obviously that's not what it was that was like a year ago in their minds I, my... I can't think about those things Phoebe okay then don't <laughs> let me finish my sentence <laughs> <laughs> my actual thought was I I wondered if like as a child of Kronos from like way way back if your ability to slow down time would allow you to sort of live forever, but you're using your powers constantly and you're kind of drained now and you just want the cups so that you can turn yourself immortal was like the actual theory that was happening in my head was that like maybe this is a child of Kronos from like a long, long time ago. That would be cool. I would be, that would be awesome. I have, a, I have another idea though. Okay. What if, so it is a, like a child of Kronos. But it's like Luke and the and Kelly the Impusa, I guess, had a secret love child, <laughs> and then they're using time magic to change reality, uh-huh. <laughs> and whatever the rest of the plot of the cursed child, <laughs> Percy's child gets sorted into the Ares cabin for some reason, right? <laughs> and befriends the child of Clarice Larue. Yeah, Charles Bianca Jackson, Lee Selena. Selena. Like Lee Fletcher. Oh, you combine the two. <laughs> Silena. And you were named after the bravest. Luke Daedalus. <laughs> Spoilies for the cursed child, but like, we don't care. <laughs> okay. Do we have a bead for this book? The Arch in Washington Square Park, perhaps. <laughs> what is my bead for this book? Hmm. Do you have a bead? I, I don't I don't know yet. I'm trying to think of one that's better than the like hula hoop hmm. that uh Ganymede throws down with the note attached. Like, like I think that's a good one, but it wouldn't look great on the bead. Although like just a, a colorful circle on the bead isn't bad. It's just unclear what you know, it'd be unclear what it's supposed to be. Honestly, like part of me is like all of the homework Percy's doing. throughout this book it just keeps piling up he's written so many essays in the span of like a week he just kept being like i wrote another essay and i was like how why (laughs) no i'll go with i'll go with um i'll go with a blanche original of grover just lying and looking dead (laughs) okay did we like this book (laughs) (laughs) i liked it I really enjoyed myself reading this book. Like, even though it wasn't doing any of the things that I asked for, I liked all of the things it was doing, for the most part. I was never not enjoying myself. It wasn't, like, as deep as I wanted it to be. No, it wasn't. But it was funny, and it did go deeper in certain areas, like getting into Percy's more, like, emotional side. That's true. It felt like... They were growing up and I liked that. Yeah. It's like there's a maturity there and also a like an easiness to Percy and Annabeth and Grover's relationship in this book that just like it feels like it's been lived in for a very long time. Mm. Which makes them feel yeah. older. I'm excited for the next one. 
alabaster. Here we come. Come on, alabaster. <laughs> well, it's like Blanche and then alabaster. Blanche's name. Blanche is French for white. Blanche. Yes. Blanche is alabaster in disguise. <gasps> <gasps> oh, that would be good. <laughs> Blanche's alabaster is mist form. Which makes sense, because she's a daughter of Iris, she's made a mist. Anyway. Mm. Thank you all for listening to a very special episode of Monster Donut. I hope you enjoyed it. It was definitely a lot of fun to make. Next time... Finally! <laughs> Trials of Apollo! I can't wait to start uh. talking about Trials of Apollo. It's so good. At least the first three. I've read the first three. I know the first three are good. Yeah. And if you like me talking about random, weird, obscure, classic stuff, do I have the books for you? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And if you like hearing Phoebe talking about a lot of very interesting character stuff, then... Sure. (laughs) I also have the books for you. I'll also be there. So, if you'd like to see art of Percy at his swim meet, you can find that <laughs> on Instagram. Do we, do we make Monster Donut swim caps? Because we should. Oh my god. Yes, if it's possible. <laughs> <laughs> you can find that at PJOPod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And if you'd like to support the show, we have merch now, which you can find either at monsterdonut.redbubble.com dot com or you can visit our new website yeah which is monsterdonut.wixsite.com slash podcast wix is spelled w-i-x that is also in our link tree so you don't have to remember that but it's got an art gallery it's got a place where you can submit all of your questions if you don't want to email us or dm us or whatever it's got an about us page (laughs) um you can also listen to new episodes there you should check it out if you want to donate to us, um, we have a Kofi or coffee, uh, which is also in our link tree. Also, if you're going to be at New York Comic Con. Oh, yeah. 2023, we will be there. Mm-hmm. We will probably be sporting Monster Donut t-shirts, so you can find us. And you'll see us in line. You'll, you'll see us around the Percy Jackson stuff. You'll, you'll find us. Yeah. I'll be the one in the Reina cosplay, and Emily will be the one in the Octavian cosplay that she refuses to put on. <laughs> <laughs> I have the panda pillow pets. It would work so well. Oh my well. god. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not blonde. People would get it thanks to the pillow pet. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it. Thank you for listening once again, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.